Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Welcome to episode 14 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And today we are going to discuss some of the questions that have come in in the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Group or other places that we may have received them. And we're going to kind of incorporate this into the podcast and periodically answer the questions that are coming in. So if you haven't already, please join the group at the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Group at prsnetwork.com. You can go to prsnetwork.com choose podcast and uh, there's links there to join the group and you can post any question and we'll see what we can um, see get get all those questions answered if we don't answer them on the podcast we'll answer them um, on the site itself so it's a good resource and we appreciate the questions coming in so we can get the get you the help we need help you need so uh, let's start here and the first question we have um, is from Michelle and thank you Michelle for the question and it is for PA and NP phone only or phone call only visits, what codes should be used? Additionally, can phone only codes be billed as incident to for established patients? So that's the first question. And uh, I guess I can let Mark and Ray say hello as well, and uh, we can go from there. Hello. <laughs> Greetings to all, and Mark, you take this one. Okay, so first I'm going to start off by saying that I think everybody knows by now that the public health emergency, um, was, which was set to expire on July 25th, um, was officially uh, extended for another 90 days, which means that we are functioning under, for Medicare, the public health emergency rules uh, until October 23rd, which is the 90 days out um, from July 25th, because of course we've got a couple of 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 31 day months and such, so it actually will now expire on October 23rd. Uh, so, so that's one thing. Note that that's there. It's going to be interesting to see how the private payers react. Uh, we've certainly seen some different activity from different payers. And a lot of it depends on what executive orders and emergencies are in place with the states. So it'll be um, as the COVID cases are spiking in some states, um, there may be some other changes coming up. So you'll have to watch your state specifically for what they do and the private payers. But Medicare uh, is now under the public health emergency until October 23rd. Um, so basically, the the PA and the NP can both use the the same codes that physicians use just like they would in the office. So they can indeed use the phone only codes and under the pu public health emergency, uh, they can use it for both new and established patients. So um, they are, th that is certainly something that is av available to them. Uh, now, one of the things that you've got as an issue uh, across the board is the time-based service billing, um, which has actually never been allowed to bill 
incident too. Um, so uh, that's one of those issues that's been uh, kind of interesting across the board. Uh, now, uh, if you've got, and, and, and probably one of the things that you need to consider um, is that the telephone only visits uh, are, are based on time. Uh, so realistically, and with the rules that are in place, you really should not bill the telephone only visits incident two. If the PA or the NP is the one who's actually providing a phone only visit because it is time-based, you should bill under the PA or the NP. Now, if we go back to looking at office visits uh, with medical decision-making, as you well know, those can be billed incident two in the office setting and under the PHE, we are allowed to charge for office visits provided uh, via a live audiovisual connection. And if the PA or the NP is in the office uh, and the physician is in the office and there is no plan change in plan of care, uh, the uh, medical decision making becomes the driving force uh, for the, the selection of the level of service. Uh, kind of as the remember that the the PHE and, and Medicare changes uh, accelerated the adoption of the 2021 guidelines for telehealth visits. So you don't have to worry about the history and physical. So based on the medical decision making, and if there is no plan, no change in the plan of care, uh, the and the physicians in the office when those televisits are being done, uh, the telehealth visits are being done, you can build those incident too. Now, we had one additional question and a follow-up from Tracy, uh, uh, and she asked, what about incident two if the PA is working from home? Um, now, uh, essentially, there were some changes to the supervision and what's allowed in supervision for the public health emergency, which allows that physicians can be uh, supervising patients, or excuse me, their staff in multiple sites. Uh, so there's a couple of different things that, um, that, that change in the supervision rule allowed. Uh, they, they do allow some general supervision uh, guidelines to be implemented that extends where a uh, physician can actually supervise uh, a PA or an NP, or for that matter, their ancillary staff. So one of the things that we know is very clear is that, let's say if your physician um, had uh, a COVID or was suspected of COVID and had to work from home, uh, and they were a solo practitioner, if they actually dialed in audiovisual to the office for that day, all of the services provided in the office could be billed incident to uh, that physician because they have a, a virtual presence um, throughout the performance of the procedure. Um, now, the questionable piece on all of this is um, the general supervision rule uh, is a little bit broader in that the physician doesn't have the same requirements to be uh, 
in the room or immediately supervising things. So uh, the way the rule reads, there is some allowance for the physician to be available by audio and visual, uh, but not necessarily have audio visual turned on. And that could still count uh, as supervision and allow incident two billing. The, the issue you've got to watch for is that the general supervision um, rules that are listed in AUA coding today uh, need to be adhered to. So if it does require direct supervision, uh, that doesn't fall under, under that general supervision rule. So um, you need to be a little bit careful uh, as to when you're using those supervision uh, requirements. Uh, and again, there's a little bit of interpretation that is out there that makes this uh, a little bit gray into how Medicare is fully going to interpret this. They've answered a couple of questions, uh, kind of extending that supervision rule a little broader than what the the rule allows. But you do have some footing uh, to in increase maybe some of that supervision beyond some of that general supervision rule that was in place. Uh, so um, this, would, this would be something you'd want to make sure is medically acceptable and medically uh, necessary across the board, um, but you should be able to, 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 to really watch carefully. Now, evaluation and management codes don't really fall um, into that uh, general supervision rule. Um, so uh, because there's a little bit more thought and uh, and and uh, interaction required for typical evaluation and management roles, um, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable, even though I think there are some interpretations out there that would say you might be able to do a evaluation and management visit without the direct supervision of the pay of the physician uh, if the if the PA were working from their home and the physician was on call and ready to be uh, ready to be consulted during this and there was no uh, change in the plan of care uh, that falls into one of those gray areas that my advice would be that you bill that under the PA and not bill it under incident two rules. Um, but again, there's a there's a couple of answers and a couple of clarifications that CMS put out that make that area a little bit gray in its interpretation. Uh, so I, my recommendation to you would be to stick with uh, incident two billing on E&M codes uh, if the physician and the PA are in the office or uh, if the physician is um, supervising the PA through audiovisual means when they're out of the office and providing that service, which uh, in the end probably doesn't make a lot of sense uh, for uh, the the general flow of the office and the utilization of of resources. All right. So, Mark, if I understood you correctly, there, if the patient, if the PA is at home you probably would not recommend building, billing that incident too, even if the physician is standing by. But if they're in the office, the answer would be yes, go ahead. 
Yeah. Yep. That's probably the easiest way. To, as far as E&M codes go, yes. All right. And we'll uh, put these questions on the uh, podcast episode page so you can actually read through them if you want to see the, see it in writing. Um, so we'll we'll put the questions up there so you can read through that. So that's the first question we have. Anything more to add to that? Uh, nope. Hopefully it's a long that first question. Yeah, it was, it was a long, well, it was a long-winded answer. Sorry. <laughs> I tend to do that. All right. Okay. So we have an, uh, another question. And uh, this question is from Sheila or Shelia. And it says, uh, good morning. Can 52281 needing to be performed during global period of 52601 because of developed in 35.811 medial stenosis and increased self catheterizations uh, can be be billed with a modifier? Okay. So can 52281 and 52601 be billed with a modifier? Uh, actually, no, I, I, I think the question is more along the lines of can 52281 be billed in the post-operative period I of, the, yes. of the 52601? And, and I think her, her question really is about the fact that this really is a complication um, within the global period. And she said that she's looking on Encoder Pro and seeing that they're they're bundling they're bundled and no modifier is allowed to do the override. Um, first of all, um, as a little biased opinion, we'd, we 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 love to see that everybody's using all the tools available to them. Uh, but you know, AUA coding today is is a better tool. But um, the uh, the 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 answer overall is that the correct coding initiative is a day of issue. So when you look at bundled services and the modifier issues that are there, um, those only apply to the date of service. They don't apply to the post-operative period. So you're actually moving into a separate rule set. So Shelia, I think the answer would be, uh, well, actually, no, the answer would be that the 52281, if it's billed for a meatal stenosis uh, in the post-operative global period, can be billed if you return to an operating room or a qualified operating room with the 78 modifier. Um, it does sound like a complication of the TERP, and you'd be fine. And but that the the information the information you're getting from Encoder Pro and you would get from uh, coding today as well is that the 52281 and the 52601 cannot be billed on the same date, uh, primarily because uh, uh, a dilation uh, of that type would actually be considered more of an approach issue for the for the TURP. Uh, so, and that's why uh, the CCI has those two codes bundled. So. Um, hopefully that answers your question really well. Um, if you have some additional follow-up questions, uh, Ray, do you have anything? Well, I just wanted uh, to mention that 
when you talked about a qualified operating room, you're also talking about a dedicated procedural suite or endoscopy suite in the office would qualify for the use of the 78 modifier as well. So technically it's a dedicated procedural suite, um, the dedicated uh, area for and scheduled for surgeries on that date um, and during that time period. So good, good clarification, yes. All right, anything else? I don't have anything else to add to these today. Um, it's, uh, I certainly hope that these types of discussions help in, in everybody getting to the right conclusions and pushing the right codes out the door and, and would encourage people to follow up with additional questions by joining the, uh, the network page and, and putting questions on there. We do have some good discussions going back and forth um, as in uh, Michelle's question earlier, actually had some responses and information from other participants. So it's a, a great way to share uh, information across the board. And I might add that we thought we would add the Q&A to the podcast because when you get to a controversial question or one that's in the gray area, we do have some fun discussions going back and forth as we take a look at both sides, should we or should we not bill? And I know uh, also uh, we'll uh, we'll put these on the the episode page. So if you go to prsnetwork.com forward slash podcast, choose episode fourteen. We can, we'll put the questions and uh, and the discussion on each question uh, on that page, so you can review that. And again. Please, uh, please, please join us in the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Group. Yeah. Thank you for listening. This is episode 14, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening, and uh, continue to compliantly charge for everything you do. And again, happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency. So there's time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music under his record label, The Juicery, with extra pulp and special guests.